Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. For today's episode, I'm joined by Brandy McNeese. How are you doing today, Brandy? Thank you for coming on the show. I'm doing well, Desmond. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me about this. I love being able to share what it's all about right now. It's huge. Thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Brandy is joining us from the great state of Maine as a founder of the new Chipotle United Labor Union. Um, so can you just tell us a little bit about what has led up to this? I know that, you know, like there was, I saw some national headlines about like your store uh, being shut down, which we will talk about that a little bit later in the episode, but kind of just to give a little bit of the groundwork, could you just like tell people like briefly, like what led to like the decision to effectively start this labor union, uh, the first one in the nation for Chipotle? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It started, um, I came back in January. I had worked there a couple years after the store opened brand new. It was 2014 we opened. I worked there 2016 to 2019. All the way up to management, you know, I saw how everything worked. It was incredible kind of fell apart at the end. I left for a couple of years. And when I came back in January, um, knowing how hard it was to be management at the store, I came in as a trainer thinking, you know, I'll educate them, I'll empower them. Even if we don't have enough people we'll run like a well-oiled machine, at least everybody will be safe. Um, and it just pretty much immediately fell apart. And it was... It was devastating to walk in. It was, um, everything had gotten gross and fallen apart and everybody was exhausted. Nothing was running the way that it should. Um, We tried, we worked together. I worked with some of the managers that were there to get people in, to educate them, to start trying to strengthen our crew. Um, In March, we lost a couple really, really important managers. uh, And I had contacted someone about maybe unionizing, but they told me that the management couldn't be involved. So I sort of abandoned the idea. Um, We put it on the back burner, you know, if we're gonna move as a family, we wanted to move as a family. Yeah. But in in June, we were forced to keep the store open on a day when we were severely short-staffed. Everybody was sick. We had somebody working through a hernia that later turned into an emergency because they didn't stop working. Um, That day in particular, we had a cashier without a voice, uh, one person in the kitchen, and then uh, one person serving everybody online and in the stores. Um, So we realized that there really wasn't any way to do that safely. whether it be running around with, you know, beans that are 175 degrees and a big pot that sloshes around or trying to cut stuff up so that we can cook it for the customers and running around with knives. Um, and then stuff like food safety, because we couldn't be temping, making sure that things weren't being cross-contaminated, um, making sure that stuff wasn't out for so long that it could start growing bacteria. We really just 
we knew that if we kept going like that, that it was just going to be expected and that eventually somebody was going to be seriously hurt or get really sick. So we walked out. Um, we had, because we had talked about unionizing before, we had an understanding of protected concerted activity, which basically means that as a crew or as a group, you are allowed to get together to decide that what you're doing is not safe um, and you can stop, you can leave. That's part of the labor law. Uh, so we did. And then we sent a demand letter to the area manager saying, we walked out because we're understaffed. It's not safe. Um, we need training. We need support. We're not going to open the store again until it's safe. Um, yeah. And so they kind of like descended on us immediately. You know, we didn't know it was so bad. And basically step one to the union busting um, but at that point we knew that like, there's a lot of protections once you start the union process, the unionizing process. Um, and we were not going to stop fighting. So we really jumped into the next phase. Um, we got union cards signed that next week and we filed with 14 out of 18 crew. Oh, um, okay. Signed union cards. Yeah. Within a week. Um, and actually we had two more that we just couldn't get to. So once we filed, um, it really just turned into an occupation. They came in to train us, uh, but they were sending people home for rules that they'd never like enforced anywhere else, or we'd never had enforced stuff like, you know, oh, well, you have a rip in the knee of your pants, so you have to go home. And then when they shut us down three weeks later, the severance package that they gave us uh, was based on all of the hours for the last two weeks that we had worked there. So essentially they tried to push us out. They fired a couple people. Um, they cut the hours at the stores. They brought in other crews that we couldn't interact with. Uh, and at the end of the day, we were still kicking on the morning of the hearing. Um, so they panicked. They had to run. They knew that once we got in front of the board, we were going to get our election date and then we were going to have our um, we we're going to have our vote and we were going to win. And so they they ran away, um, probably, you know, regroup, trying to figure out what to do was next and then what was what to do next. And then Michigan came up behind us and just took them by surprise, like. They were so focused on this tiny little ragtag bunch of weirdos in Maine that the Teamsters just kind of and yeah, so we were the first to file and they were the first to elect a union and um, and it's just caught fire. Yeah, I want to get back to just kind of like talking a little bit more about the conditions working in the store itself before we get a little bit deeper into, you know, the stores being unionized now because that is a very big deal that that store in Michigan was able to effectively, you know, like form a union, but talking about some of like the conditions in the, you know, in the store itself, like you had mentioned to me in a previous conversation that there was like this, this system of, I guess, um, how, how do we describe it? Like a minute value where you had to get certain tasks done in a certain amount of time. And it was based on the best stores in the country. Can you tell us more about that? Um, so the thing that Chipotle tried to do a couple of years ago was roll out a prep um, prep deployment called focused prep. 
And what they wanted is to have two or three different crew people working on one task at a time. Um, and the expectation was that each task would take a certain minute value, depending on how many people you had doing it. So when they set the minute value for say, like a bunch of lettuce, um, you know, it's 12 minutes if you have three people doing it, we would often get stuck on that task alone and still held to that 12 minutes because we had to fit it into the slot like every minute of our morning was planned. Also, the time expectations that they set were based on the best restaurants in the company. Like they went in and they found, you know, the restaurant with all of the five-star chefs the, with the prep skills that they could chop things behind their backs. And they figured out how much time it took them. And then they scheduled people who were brand new, had never had any experience. We're talking like the high school kids that everybody says should you know be working at fast food restaurants like they scheduled us so that we had to uphold those time standards with less of us so we were lifting too much and stuff was getting warm because it was taking us too long to prep we were running around with knives trying to you know keep up with everything we're cooking stuff you know, two or three batches at a time, which we're not supposed to do, but then the pots are over full. You've got stuff sloshing around, like I said. Um, it just, all of the rushing was so dangerous. Um, and they did that to us by setting these ridiculous expectations that nobody else could achieve. Yeah, no, and I... I'm sure that other people who've worked in other fast food jobs could probably have very similar stories. I feel like this is a system that we see across the board in a lot of these service industry jobs. But even though so many people have these stories, it, it still kind of like takes you off guard whenever you hear about them. I know that those for me personally, and I, and I worked at a McDonald's and a Burger King for years, and I, I have a lot of these same experiences myself. Can you go a little bit further into some of like the kind of like the the safety concerns that you had i mean get some of the overworking and you even mentioned the fact that they had like written people up for for absences that were even like legitimate like it, it seemed like there was a very toxic culture at this particular store um i wish i could say at this particular store uh, although i've heard so many stories since we got shut down from people that i've interacted with it's just been heartbreaking um they really Sorry, in terms of safety stuff, short staffing. I'm sorry, is that what you were asking? Uh, yeah, does anything that comes to mind when it comes to like just feeling unsafe working at the store? Oh my God, yes. That store was so unsafe. So from, um, from day one, I would say, you don't get a lot of training on stuff like... Um, even let's start with ergonomics, stuff that you're supposed to know, like how to lift stuff, how to use the ovens, how to temp stuff, how to keep yourself safe with knives and hot things. None of that training happens. It's like, here's your oven mitts or don't put your hand near that or uh, careful these are sharp and then you go about your business. So the training in general safety is lacking immediately. Um, they also 
you know, once they short staff and we have to start running around, um, you know, there's the food safety, there's the physical safety to us. There's also a lack of consideration for general safety, um, community safety, when it comes to those of us working, um, because we only had, you know, a few people that would show up for every shift, we had to make sure that we were there for every shift. And that includes, like I said, the hernia that became an emergency situation. Um, people who were getting written up for calling out because they were sick. We had people who got fired um, because they showed up after one of them had been nauseous with a migraine uh, because that's always been the expectation. And when corporate came in, they saw that and they fired them, but they didn't hold the same expectation for their trainer. Um, they had a lead trainer that didn't, we had a check-in book um, that said, you know, we're here, we're not sick, we haven't been sick. Um, and that trainer didn't even sign it for multiple days, but they were able to come in and say, these two people were out because one of them had an allergy to food, uh, certain food and had a migraine and felt nauseous. Um, and they had to be fired because they came in and weren't following the rules. Um, so they were really arbitrary. Uh, food safety rules were basically just, you know, how do we make it look good? Um, yeah. So short staffed, there's a temperature log that has to be um, kept so that we know that, you know, every four hours we're making sure that our stuff isn't growing bacteria because it's in that gross zone. And we actually had a manager who was seen forging that book, had to be filling in that book, trying to get out of trouble, was seen by the third party inspection company that Chipotle hires to make sure that we are following the rules and was given the, I know it's really hard here, but you don't have to forge that. I wasn't going to fail you anyway. Wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. You know, it, it's, I, I want to say that I'm shocked, but I mean, like these are stories that I have, unfortunately I have heard from other fast food industries. I mean, I know I've seen them personally again, working, you know, and, and some of these for myself, it's, it doesn't take away the fact that, you know, it, it feels as though like you're being asked to do so much for what ultimately isn't that much pay, you know, and, and people are being worked to death and, you know, these companies, they just, they swoop in and they just take advantage of people. And we're going to talk more about that in a quick moment after the break, we're going to come back and we're going to talk more with Brandy about the forming of the union and more on the unfair labor practices that were filed. Stay tuned. Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code independentthought 
at checkout to save 15% on your order. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage-inspired clothing, shoes, and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. So, Brandon, before we went on, you know, on our break, I was talking about the actual forming of the union. And one of the things I wanted to kind of like come back to a little bit here, was there any fear, I guess, at all about what Chipotle might do leading up to the, you know, like the handing out of the union cards or or thinking about forming a union or just what was the atmosphere like amongst like your coworkers when you guys were having these first conversations? Um, there were a lot of us, I think that came into it. Like, I really hate the way that this is going and I don't feel like it's right the way that they're treating us, but I don't know what can be done about it. Yeah. Um, some of us were super gung ho. A couple of us said, I don't really want anything to do with that. Um, the grounds for not wanting anything to do with it were pretty much, I don't want to be a target. Right. Um, we had, in preparation, we had looked into whether there were other Chipotle as unionized. So we had found the New York City stores and their stories, um, and they hadn't won $20 million yet, but um, <laughs> we found, right. you know, gone through, and we saw what Starbucks was going through, and we knew that when we took this on, um, you know, we were, we were way outnumbered and way outfunded um, and there was a chance that they could just break the law and try to walk away, which they've done. But we knew that we could either quit and go find another crappy job now, or we could stay, fight, give them, you know, some sort of trouble. Maybe we could make some progress with the whole labor movement. Um, and then if it went bad, we'd just go find that crappy job that we were going to find a couple months ago. Right. And so that all took place like you formed, like you took your vote. I guess like it came through on June 23rd, correct? And then uh, oh, go ahead. And then the store like Chipotle, the corporation came through and shut down your store permanently on July 19th. So just not even a full month later. Like, wh What was the reaction amongst everyone after that happened? Oh, it was rage like we were we were playing by the rules we had done everything that we were supposed to do we were in a super strong position for the election um you know we had gotten our card signed we had filed the petition with the labor board we had done all of our paperwork um we were getting ready to go 
into this hearing and we knew that we were going to win. We had the super majority. Um, and then they just said, no, we're not going to play anymore. Um, and the first reaction other than shock for a lot of us was anger. Like, what's the point in all of these laws? If Chipotle can just say, right. I don't think one, I'm, I'm going to scoop. Like, that's, you know what I mean? Like, we formed the union or we were trying to form a union because we were tired of watching a corporation kick around the people that we loved. And then they just came out and straight up stepped on us. Like, if we were mad before, then you just hurt all of those people that we care about even more. And now we're just going to want to fight you even more. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. And you tell me that since then you filed an unfair labor practice, you know, against Chipotle. Can you just tell us a little bit about like what led into that decision and what exactly is an unfair labor practice? Just like in plain speak. We'll start with the second part first. Um, so an unfair labor practice is when you allege that a corporation has broken a labor law. Uh, we have we have three of them in court right now. The first is because they fired two of our staff um, while enforcing a rule that they didn't enforce with other people. Um, so they selectively targeted them with that rule and fired them. The second is closing the store, um, both because they didn't, you know, they weren't going with the labor board's uh, progress the way that they were supposed to, but also because it really chilled the organization effect for a lot of other stores. Um, and also because they blacklisted me um, and other crew members, uh, but we only have the proof so far for me. Um, so that ULP or unfair labor practice is for um, discriminating against me for rehire based on my union activity. Um, yeah. So what happens next is we, we put these complaints in, they're being investigated right now. There's a board officer who's been talking to all of the crew, um, who's been communicating between our lawyer and Chipotle's lawyers. She's gonna come back and tell us, you know, what she decides about that. Was it illegal? Was it not illegal? Where do we go from here? Uh, can go all the way up to court. And then we can, um, we can argue for some sort of um, some sort of I don't want to say vindication, but <laughs> retribution. Um, yeah, that's the word. Thank you. Some sort of retribution. But also, we are hoping that like the three things that we're asking for is that we are recognized by Chipotle as a union, and they bargain with us. No election, just wow, these guys have stuck together for the last two months to fight with us. So they're a union and now we're going to bargain about separation benefits. Um, we want the store reopened. It's still empty. I'm sure they have everything in, you know, storage in Massachusetts at their regional, where whatever. Um, so they should come back in and they should put all that back together and they should put us back to work because that is what you do when you do the wrong thing. You go back and you fix it. Um, but if that isn't the case, then... We want to have preferential rehiring at the other stores. Um, and that way Chipotle knows that they can't just like make us go away. I love it. And, you know, let me just ask a question for maybe some of those who might be a little confused, you know, like, like listening to this, you know, I think a lot of times when people talk about, 
you know, their jobs being unsafe or their jobs, you know, like not treating them right, you know, so on and so forth. And you hear about people like wanting to organize the union. There's always some people who are just like, why don't you just get another job? And so after hearing everything that you just said and then talking about how you want Chipotle to reopen the store so that you can go back and work for this company, just bring us into the mindset a little bit. Like, why do you want to continue to work for Chipotle, you know, even though it hasn't been the best working experience? When I started in 2016, um, the vision was, it was real. Um, what they believed in, you know, sustainability, local products, the way that they treated the environment and their crew people, uh, they would promote from within. There were great opportunities. There's free school. Um, there's so many good things about working there. I loved the food and the work environment. Um, and everything that Chipotle was about, like it was a great place. And I think that's why a lot of us started working there and why a lot of us got so disenchanted when they proved to be just another corporation. Yeah. Um, we can't stop corporations from existing, but this one would be really awesome if they just did what they said they wanted to. Um, and I don't think that it's wrong for us to stand up and say, hey, can you just do what you said you were going to? Um, but if that takes us saying, you know, okay, well, we want a contract saying that this is what you're going to do, then that's what we'll do. No, I understand that completely. And I think the final question that I have for you here is for those who are listening to this episode, to this conversation, what is it that you want the listeners to take away from this conversation? I think that everybody thinks about unions as, you know, the, the groups that came in and protected the, the little kids from working in the factories and, um, you know, made health and safety a thing in a lot of the factories and a lot of other industries, but they have missed food service. Um, we are looked at, you know, as the burger flippers, as the servers, servants even. Yeah. Um, and the jobs that we do are really hard sometimes and they are dangerous and we are doing our best. And for people to think that we deserve to be in this environment that, you know, is is dangerous and is not worth what we're being compensated for. Um, I guess you just have to have to realize that one in 10 Americans works in the food service industry. Um, so when you're thinking about unions, you can think about 10% of Americans who are going to band together and ask for basic human rights um, you know, health, safety, being able to organize, being able to talk together and speak freely. Um, we're really trying to raise the, the standard of life, um, the business practices in the industry, the way that the corporations are doing business and how they value their labor. Um, it has to no, happen. Sorry. <laughs> It has to happen um, at the time where we know that we are essential. We've been called heroes. We've been told for the past two years that, you know, this world wouldn't go on without us. Um, and just because 
they consider our work, um, you know, for a luxury now doesn't mean that it's changed at all. Um, doesn't mean that we weren't out there fighting and we weren't out there taking care of everybody when everybody else was hiding in their, in their houses. Um, and I think that we should be recognized as a legitimate part of society. It's not a union that's coming in and telling us how to be. The union is the workers. It's us at the organizational level who are standing in the store and saying, hey, I just read the handbook and can we follow these policies? You know, it's, yeah, not some outside organization. It's just us getting together as, you know, one out of 10 Americans and saying, hey, yeah, we're humans too. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, I, when I worked at, you know, McDonald's, you know, Burger King years ago, you know, there were people in there who were in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s working a lot of for a lot of people. This is their full time job, like for their I mean, for their adult life. You know, this this character caricature, I think, that is placed upon some of these food service industry jobs as being just for high school kids or just for people who are going to college. It, it's so demeaning and, and it's not representative of what's really going on in so many food industries like jobs across the country. Everyone deserves respect. Everyone deserves a safe work environment. Everyone deserves to have a normal schedule, you know, like better pay. These jobs are making crazy amounts of income. They're not paying their workers enough. You know, if people need to have two or three jobs to survive, then their jobs aren't paying them enough. That's just the end of it, right? I mean, that's that's how I see it anyway. And, and so thank you for coming on and talking to us today about this, you know, what's going on with Chipotle, particularly where you're at in Maine. And, you know, again, we wanted to highlight the success of that store over in Michigan and them actually being able to be the first store to unionize. Is, is there any, like... um links that you want to direct people to about how they can like keep up with you directly or many any other movements that are going on with chipotle united yeah absolutely um so the beginning of the chipotle movement like i said started in new york city and they are a um a local foreign international union that is working with all of the stores in new york city right now to get unionized so their link is chipotleunion.org uh, people can go there to see kind of what Chipotle is willing to let their um, employees deal with. There's a big long list of all of the reasons that we need those protections and we need a contract to make them take care of us. Um, there's also an initiative in Maine called the Maine Labor Alliance that we've just rolled out. Um, and we put that together because there are a lot of people in the stores like I was that said, hey, this is awful. We want to stand up. What can we do? And there really wasn't anybody to help. You know, um, unions are so stretched and they're not a big thing anymore. And there weren't the resources out there to educate and to connect me with the people that needed to be around. Um, so what we've done is we've put together a collective where people can call and say, I hate what's happening right now. These people aren't treating me right. How can I fix this? And we will educate you. We'll empower you. Um, we'll get you to a place where you can be running these campaigns in your store and standing up to management and leadership. Um, and hopefully that way we'll see a lot of growth in the industry. Um, and the saying is, as Maine goes, so goes the nation. I'm sure that nobody else is going to agree with that. <laughs> um, 
but it worked as far as filing. So if we can build a really strong service industry labor force in Maine, um, we really hope to see that take over everywhere. So that's mainlaboralliance.com. Uh, yes, mainlaboralliance.org. That's what it is. And then chipotleunion.org. So you get the background and you get to see what we are up to moving forward um, to continue the fight. So one of the last things I want to ask you about is in regards to the workers who, you know, are kind of like in this limbo right now, is there any kind of support that, you know, like you and the rest of your coworkers might need while you're waiting to figure out what happens next, whether the store reopens, so on and so forth. Can you tell us about that? Um, yeah, actually the main AFL-CIO, um, which is kind of the union of unions has worked with us to set up a solidarity fund um, through the Eastern Maine Labor Council. Um, they're called Food and Medicine. Um, they're a wonderful organization. And through their work, we are trying to keep everybody paying rent and fed and with car insurance. Um, we're all just trying to stay as available as possible because like you said, they may open the store. We're hoping that at least we get preferential hiring. There are so many of us that just want to go back to work and want to make that place the place that we want to work at um and at the same time like being available for hearings and affidavits and there'll be 10 out of the 18 of us who have testified in front of the board by the time i think we get through the investigations if not more right um so again we have we have the solidarity fund um it has helped. I think so far there's been four people who have been able to pay their rent so that they can stay in their apartments. We've paid a car payment and insurance payment. Um, and we've also helped to kind of buffer this, the uh, severance pay that a lot of people didn't get to be able to bridge themselves between when we lost our jobs back in July and when we figure out what everything is going to boil down to at the end. Um, so thank you for asking about that um, and keeping our family safe and healthy has been the number one goal this whole time. Um, so we really want to make sure that everybody has their basic needs met while we keep fighting. Thank you so much, Brandy. I really do appreciate you coming on the show today and telling everyone you know, about your story and about what it is that you and your coworkers have gone through. And for those who are interested, those links that you know she had just mentioned will be in the episode description. So make sure you click on the episode description now. You'll be able to see those links. And for those of you who sat through this entire episode, I really do appreciate it, you listening to this story. Please share this on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, wherever you spend most of your time. Make sure that you go check out Chipotle United and what they are up to and the other, all the other great like uh, labor unions right now that are trying to organize against several large corporations, you know, looking at REI, uh, Trader Joe's, Home Depot, Starbucks, of course, the Amazon Labor Union. So shout outs to all of them for what they're doing, trying to, you know, fight for worker empowerment. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. We will see you in the next one.